Because a majority of our weather information heavily relies on the use of maps and other geographic information, meteorologists are always asking, can people find themselves on a map? This week's episode of Weather Hype is inspired by a fireside chat that broadcast meteorologist James Spann had a few months ago. Uh, and, and, and listen, we don't expect people to be geographers or radar meteorologists. We really don't. We understand. It's like there's a lot of things I'm not good at, a lot. But during severe weather, what do we use? Maps all night. You know, we just can't show you much severe weather at night, so we wind up using maps. And we have learned that a large percentage of people in our state, in many states, cannot find their house on a map. If I were to give you a blank map with no labels, no highways, just county lines and state lines, could you draw a dot within 50 miles of your house? And we've seen some studies that show about 85% of the population cannot do that. So this, this makes sense because you post a really easy to use map, easy to read map on social media in the first 80 questions. What about Jasper? What about Eastaboga? What about Clanton? What about Center? What about Gadsden? What about Fayette? What about Vernon? What about Millport? What about Rockford? What about Sylacauga? What about Wadawi? What about, what about, what about? And we've learned that people can't not understand maps. Here, James asks a great question. Can people simply not understand maps? On this episode of Weather Hype, we dig deeper into this question as we search for alternative perspectives to this perception that people cannot find themselves on a map. We examine James Spann's fireside chat, take a closer look at some of the studies that he cites, and consider an alternative perspective offered by Kim Clockout-McLean in a recent Washington Post article. That and more on this week's episode of Weather Hype, a podcast where we talk about weather, climate, and how it affects you. So stay tuned, because Weather Hype is coming up next. Now I'm the reason why you broke up with him and got back together Thought I was sunshine, but baby, I'm bad weather I'm off the Doppler in the five-day forecast By the time they hear me, I've already pushed the shore back No, no, I wasn't always like this Skies cleared soon as my daylight lit Sidewalks dried up, no snow emergency I could take you February and turn it into spring I get gone, I get gone, and I don't need anyone to know better. Put your faith to the down. Hello there. Hey, Castle, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Long time no chat on the interwebs. <laughs> we chatted, just not on the podcast per se, but yeah, it's been a while yeah. since we've recorded. Um, it was National Weather Podcast Month in March, and we kind of took a little bit of a break, you know. The usual story. I'm busy. You're busy. Yeah, right. <laughs> we love weather hype, but sometimes life does get in the way. But uh, we're always happy to bring another episode to you. So this is what we're doing today. Plus, I mean, you gave that really awesome episode of the podcast. So technically, the listeners got a double dose of weather hype. <laughs> and we were on a lot of other podcasts. So if they really were interested in hearing us, we gave them like loads of content. We gave them March. options. and. <laughs> Yeah, so April yeah. was well covered. Plus, we had a episode planned for April that was really exciting that we were excited to bring you guys, but there were some scheduling conflicts, so we're going to have to postpone that for another month. Um, but we're now it's May, and we're excited it's to bring you this May. episode. <laughs> oh, God, cue those memes. Why is that even a thing? I know, like, just the way I he says enjoy it in the song. It. I don't know. That enjoy may it. the fourth be with you. Yeah, it's a I'm lot like, for the okay, beginning of May. To, yeah, May May is just doing its thing. Like you need to chill, everyone. 
<laughs> just chill. We already have April 25th. Like, that's a great gif, a great meme. And that should never go away. But, like, the other ones, not as cool, in my opinion. Yeah, but, you know. That's true. There are a lot of, like, meme moments end of <laughs> April, early May. You know, I don't know if there's a game, like, the what do you meme game, but there should be a game called, like, Meme Girls. <laughs> <laughs> what would the point of the board game be well okay so they're actually so the game what do you mean there is a yes mean girls expansion pack oh okay so if they labeled that as meme Meme girls Girls. i would have i would have thought that would be really clever so i don't think i think this is called the mean girls expansion pack i could be wrong i don't have the expansion pack but i bought it for my uh cousin for uh christmas so it sounds like that you should sell them that idea and make millions of dollars I'm probably sure they can just steal the idea and just say they came up with it on their own because it's probably not like super original. Hey, I mean, if it's technically documented on this podcast, then there is official evidence. I don't think that's how copyright laws work. (laughs) But we'll go with that. Sure. Why not? I could use a million bucks right about now. Anyway, Castle. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) What are we talking about today? Well, Castle, do you know where you live? (laughs) I do. Could you point it out on the map? <laughs> <laughs> I can. I can. Um, unfortunately, this is an audio podcast, and so people can't see me pointing to it right now. Um, so use visual descriptors to show them what you're doing. What color map do you have? <laughs> what color map do I have? <laughs> you don't have to do that. <laughs> if they can't, so if the listeners don't know what like states look like, it'd be hard to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm looking at the state of Georgia and pointing in this part of the state. Like people yeah. wouldn't know what that means so anyway hopefully you're you You know you know how to read a map (laughs) you get the idea so this is an episode that was kind of brought upon to us i because we were looking at twitter right castle and we saw some conversations some videos some news articles about people not knowing where they're at on a map or how to locate themselves on a map this is an idea that we've talked about pretty frequently uh, when it comes Mm -hmm. to severe weather communication or weather communication and a lot of meteorologists often go on rants and say, well, you know, my constituents, my the residents here don't know where they are on a map. And when you watch those Facebook live videos or you see, you know, social media videos of an on-air meteorologist talking about a severe weather threat, people always ask, what about my town? What about my community? What about us over here in this, you know, city or this town? And right. it's kind of like if you watch the video and you're watching it live whether it's on TV or on social media, they kind of point out where everybody is and they kind of have a map showing, you know, where the radar or where the storms are moving on the radar and everything else. And they try to break it down, zoom in, zoom out. So the fact that people keep asking, well, what about my city? What about my town? Makes it seem like people don't really know where they're located and where they can find themselves. And so that was kind of the impetus for why we wanted to talk about this, because there are varying sides and varying opinions about this topic yeah i think it's really interesting that because i feel like until kind of some of the articles that have recently come out there's always been kind of this one-sided argument that oh people just don't know where they live right and so i think kind of what started kind of started this more recent conversation was a fireside chat that james span had after some severe weather that went through that birmingham uh area And so he started kind of citing some studies, which we'll kind of go into a little bit. 
but also kind of thinking about some of the like increased use of GPS and kind of our society instead of using kind of a paper map that we'd pull out of the glove compartment when we're going on a trip or something, people just use their phones and their phones tell them exactly where to go. And it's funny, I was actually talking about this with some grad students the other day and we were laughing because of the office episode where Michael puts the GPS stuff into his phone and it tells him to turn right into a lake Uh, Um, and uh, Dwight's like no no you can't go in there it's a lake and he's like no the GPS is telling me to turn right so I'm going to turn right and he literally drove into a lake because the GPS told him to I mean, we've um, seen news articles like that, too, where people are like, oh, yeah, driven you know, a woman or man drives into lake because they yeah. follow GPS. Like, totally. Right. And I mean, how many times have you second guessed yourself where you're like, you know what? I think I know this is where I'm supposed to turn. But the GPS is saying just go a little further and turn. Yeah. So I've done that plenty of times. I'm like, oh, dang it. I should have trusted my gut. Yeah. So I think these are some of the arguments that are coming up. Um revolving around kind of this one side of the story involving people not knowing where they're actually located. Um, And I think, and I don't know how we want to like transition this um, without talking too much about like Kim's article versus James Spann's article. Um, But I think one of the things that came up when I was thinking about it, especially kind of in your introduction just then about people saying, oh, where? what about this town? Or what about this town? What about my town? What about this town? And James Spann uses that as one of his kind of primary arguments about why he believes that people don't really know where they live. Um, And so as I was listening to his fireside chat, I was trying to think like, are there other reasons why they may be asking besides not knowing where they're at on the map? Yeah. And so I'm wondering if maybe this is more of like a personalized forecast preference. Um, so people may be able to f- know and find themselves on the map, but are they kind of wanting some two-way communication with an actual meteorologist to give them kind of that up-to-date information that they're craving versus just kind of looking on a in-motion map? And that, so, yeah. So I'm wondering if that's part of it is like they like, sure, they can get the information from the map, but it seems more trustworthy or seems kind of more explicit or more detailed if they can actually talk to someone versus just using like a product or something that we've created. Yeah, I think that's definitely a great um, perspective because, yeah, people, when they turn to social media, they want a, you know, a personalized forecast. And if, you know, the meteorologist or the on-air personality has an opportunity to talk to these people, which right. oftentimes they do because they're scrolling through the comments or someone else is scrolling through the comments and reading them out, um, then they definitely want that personal touch to the forecast. Another thing I was thinking about, though, too, is if you happen to tune in in the middle of the video, maybe you just uh, kind of missed that yeah. part where they talked about your city and they moved on to a different um, part of the state or a region that doesn't really show your town so then you're like well what about my town i'm curious and thing is you just missed it a couple of seconds ago when you tuned in a little bit right. later so that could also be a reason why people are asking um so there, there there's varying reasons and i i wonder if there's uh, an ability for people to do research into that area yeah i think it would be super interesting and as we'll kind of dig into as we progress further into the podcast there are a lot of opportunities to do kind of really cool research in this area but yeah I think there are a lot of kind of things that we think about and we're like oh yeah this adds evidence to this idea that people don't know where they live but I also think it's kind of cool to think about these alternative perspectives about are some of these pieces of evidence kind of being biased by our 
thought or our opinion yeah. that yeah. Um, this is actually true. Yeah, for sure. So James Spann had a fireside chat in a little video, Twitter video thing, where he talked about the idea that people in Alabama can't find themselves on a map. And he cited a story um, in Alabama.com. A researcher was looking into this idea and asked people in Alabama, Alabamanians or Alabamians? Okay, sorry. It's like <laughs> Alabamanians. <laughs> Alabamanians? Alabamians, um, you know looking at a map, can you find yourself? And so that study actually showed and kind of backs up what James Spann is saying that people can't locate themselves. Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, this kind of all started with this social scientist named April Taylor. Um, and she is really into trauma recovery and how that kind of intersects with uh, tornado work and especially with uh, following the super outbreak in 2011 that went through Alabama. And she started kind of thinking about this idea of can people, specifically those that live in Alabama, find themselves on a map. And so she started really small just to kind of test the idea out. She got seven people together that had various educational backgrounds and just handed them a blank map of Alabama and said, can you put a dot where you currently live and label your county and all of the surrounding counties? And when she did that, she found that like half the people couldn't do it. And she was shocked to find that even those with like higher educational degrees struggled as well. Mm -hmm. And so what she did was she kind of expanded it bigger. She like brought it to uh, a lot more people. She increased her sample size to see if the results kind of were consistent with kind of her original pilot study. And so what she found was kind of that number that James Spann noted in his fireside chat, which I think he said 85%. Yeah. Um, but looking at this her article, it seems like it's 65% um, of people struggled to kind of find themselves and place themselves on a map. And in addition to labeling all the counties around them. um, So what really was, I thought was pretty like the coolest part of this uh, experiment or the results of this takeaway is that it was very similar across all educational backgrounds, all races. Like it was very distributed. It wasn't like age. Yeah. Age. She said it like across all demographic categories, it was very staggered. So like 65% of people like knew and like the 40, 35% Mm -hmm. um, didn't know. And she said that same pattern came up in whatever demographic variable she looked at. Um, whether it be age or race or education. And so she even looked at this across individuals that uh, reported having some sort of disabilities. And she said that there was even similar patterns there where 65% of people that she kind of talked to had trouble indicating where they lived. Um, but But I think the biggest thing from this study was that she gave them a blank map with just the counties on it, just the Alabama counties on it. Okay. And I think that is kind of the big takeaway as we transition to Kim's article that kind of breaks down this study as well as provides some alternative viewpoints to James Spann's fireside chat. 
So Dr. Kim Clocko McLean, uh, she's over in Oklahoma. She saw James's fireside chat and a lot of different news articles that were saying that people can't find themselves on a map. So then she kind of did a rebuttal in response to some of those ideas because she also saw that, um, you know, in her own research, that there were actually people who could find themselves on a map and actually they're quite spatially aware. So in her study after the 2011 super outbreak, she interviewed 70 different people and talk to them about, you know, where they lived, um, what kind of radius around them was deemed important to them. So if there was something occurring within 10 mile radius of them, I think is what the uh, study showed, um, yeah. that would be something that would be of significance to them. As you kind of mentioned, men, when Kim went in and did these like semi-structured interviews, it was, I think it was part of a uh, National Weather Service service assessment, or maybe it was part of her dissertation. I can't really remember. Um, but she did. She found that these individuals were really they used a lot of spatial information, just maybe not the way that the other Alabama study was kind of thinking about it. Um, so she really realized that a lot of people knew when severe weather was heading their way because there were certain kind of cues or locations or context clues that really gave them those hints and those heads ups. Um, so like in particular, people would be like, oh, I know that when the storm hits Birmingham in like two hours, it'll hit me. Um, so they use kind of some of those really important uh, locations and landmarks and that specific spatial information to understand when the weather is going to impact them. So I thought that was really cool because it kind of personalizes the weather forecast to them just based on some of those locations and landmarks that they use. So Kim argues that, like, uh, in fact, maybe members of the public are very uh, spatial aware and they use a lot of different types of spatial information mm -hmm. to possess and process like severe weather communication or weather communication in general. So in other words, just because someone cannot label all the counties on a blank map in their state doesn't mean that they're not using other types of spatial information to kind of translate yeah. and personalize whatever threat is heading their way. I mean, that makes so much sense too because when you think about it, I mean, it giving does. you a blank map feels like a grade school quiz or test, right? And yeah. when you're given that kind of situation, it's kind of about memorization almost. And you don't really have that context like you said. But for people, if they can't necessarily find themselves or label themselves on a map, they've probably experienced life within that region, whether that's you know driving to a city that they know is roughly an hour and a half, two hours away. You know, those kind of context clues when you're telling somebody, oh, a storm is going 60 miles an hour, which is about, you know, an average speed of a, a car on a highway. It yeah. takes, you know, the storm is going to be there in about, you know, 45 minutes. So you can kind of like use that information to figure out where the storm is and in location to you and in reference to you. And so you're right. These context clues really do help. And then when you bring in landmarks, things that people really know about like oh that giant peach on the side of the road you yep. know or or this or that or you know that gas station at that corner like these pieces of um context clues really do help and um james span is a master at that he, he when is. he's doing severe weather coverage he always brings in these local, that church and yeah yeah all these really, really, really local micro landmarks. local hyper local yeah. landmarks that people are like aha i know exactly where that's at in relation to me even if i don't know exactly where i'm at on a blank alabama map and that goes into the idea of ecological validity, Castle, right? Do you want to talk a little bit more? Sure. So um, that is kind of the the word that 
or the the term that Kim goes into, and she talks about why the kind of the Alabama study uh, doesn't really kind of conceptualize or it's not measuring really what we want to measure. So this kind of big term in social science research, which is called ecological validity, um, is basically when we're trying to make something and research something that is as real as possible. So when we're trying to measure some sort of instrument or we're trying to get someone's opinion on a map or we're trying to figure out whether they use spatial information, we have to do it in the most ecologically valid way as possible or in other words, how we would do it in real life. So as an example, the Alabama study used, uh, as we've kind of laid out, required people to label a blank map, to put a dot on a blank map and label the county surrounding a blank map. The reason why it's not kind of the best ecological validity is because when people see weather information on a television screen, on the internet, on social media, um, it's always involve some of those landmarks and those cities and those towns and those context context clues that we've been talking about. So in the real world, people get to use all of that extra additional information to help them really personalize the risk for them. Mm -hmm. Whereas when they were measuring kind of the people's spatial awareness in the Alabama study, um, they weren't necessarily measuring that in particular. They were kind of, as you mentioned, they're kind of quizzing them on the different counties. So just because someone can't name the all of the adjacent counties to them doesn't mean that they aren't using different types of spatial information to better understand and interpret whatever a broadcast meteorologist is throwing down to them. And when you're saying and you're talking about making something as real world relevant as possible or making it as, as realistic to the actual situation as possible, mm -hmm. I was thinking earlier when we were talking how when people, you know, log on to their Facebook or Twitter and, and look at those Facebook live videos with the meteorologists talking about the severe weather and chiming in, I, that seems like a really easy way to do a research study where you can get somebody to make a Facebook live video, maybe work with an on-air meteorologist, and then, you know, have a scenario where it's like an exercise and clearly everyone knows yeah. that, but like sit down in a room, have people log on to their Facebook, watch the video, and then just have, you know, mock radar um, reflectivities and showing mm -hmm. different things and see how they would react, what comments would they have, and then work to understand why they commented what they did. And then maybe work to really figure out, you know, the meaning behind what they text or what they type. I feel like yeah, that would be so fun. <laughs> it would be. And, and I think you could go even further than that. And uh, broadcast meteorologists have hours and hours of footage that's already just up on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So you could go through and increase the ecological validity even further by using actual footage that people have used. Oh, yeah. Um, so that way, you know that that has actually gone out to members of the public. And so when you're doing research on it, it is like a product that's actually been shown to them in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Um, so that's like when you're doing, I mean, it depends on the research goals, right? So ecological validity may not always be someone's like highest priority. Sure. So for example, if you're doing like theoretical work or you're testing a theory, it's more about testing the theory versus making sure that the materials that you're using have been used before in the real world or as close to something that someone would use in the real world as possible. But 
if you're thinking about trying to do some sort of research to operations or perhaps you're collaborating with a practitioner or an operational meteorologist or someone that is using these products on a day-to-day -day basis, you want to increase your ecological validity as much as you can so that when you go through your study and you have results at the end, you can be like, here are these results and they're super applicable because I actually use the things that you use mm -hmm. and you can improve them by X, Y, Z because people actually saw things that you've already produced in the past. Yeah. So depending on the goals of your social science work, ecological validity can be extremely powerful um, and should be a priority. So if you're listening and you're trying to come up with a research topic, yeah, could consider this one. <laughs> I think it's really cool because I think what really sparked the interest for doing this podcast is I've been doing some research involving the convective outlook graphic that the Storm Prediction Center uh, puts out for, you know, the different risk categories like marginal and mm -hmm. slight and enhanced and moderate and high. And what I've been doing is actually showing members of the public actual graphics that have been produced both by the Storm Prediction Center, by local National Weather Service offices, and also broadcast meteorologists yeah. to get their initial thoughts, their takeaways, um, to really make sure uh, to help us improve the convective outlook graphic. So for me, ecological validity was like crucial. It was a incredibly important and it plays an important role as I move forward in my dissertation as well because that is kind of the primary thing is since I'm studying message consistency it's important that I show people actual messages to understand what are they taking away from it what are they kind of conceptualizing it as being consistent or not consistent mm -hmm. um, so it's important for me in particular but how it's tying into the map side of things is also pretty cool because what I decided to do, because this was kind of a relevant topic and has been for like the last two years, I actually had people do a cognitive mapping exercise during the interviews when I was kind of assessing whether they understood the convective outlook graphic or not. Um, and so like kind of Kim outlines, I showed them two maps. Um, one was the convective outlook graphic the categorical one on a national scale the one that we're kind of probably all familiar with and told them to put a mark where their location is at so this is an actual product that people use um, but interestingly it's uh, at a national scale so there's only state outlines there's no other landmarks no. or cities or roads or anything like that okay but then I show them a public weather, severe weather outlook, which is kind of the public product that the Storm Prediction Center produces. And it has mm -hmm. city names and uh, highways and like all these important landmarks yeah. um, that we see. And what I've started to notice is a lot of these similar trends that Kim has kind of outlined in her article is that people, um, they pretty much know where they're at. Um, unfortunately, I feel like Athens Clark County is a bit biased because it's one of the smallest counties in the whole United States. <laughs> yeah. So people can easily spot it. Um, but I think uh, some of the other nuances are pretty interesting because you can really tell the ease of moving from not having landmarks to a map having landmarks. They feel mm -hmm. a lot more confident in putting their location down and marking 
where they feel like they're located. And when they're doing that and they're going through the process of it, they're like, oh, here's Atlanta. I know that I'm east of Atlanta and I'm south of Gainesville. And so they're like they're using these context clues in order to pinpoint their location. Um, And even further is some of the other other things that Kim pointed out is when I was talking to them, they were like, oh, I know that when a storm is in Atlanta, it's like three hours away from us. Um, So that's how I can usually figure out the timing is whenever it hits Atlanta, there's like three hours in between us to when the storm's going to hit. But people also told, talk to me about like the storm's direction. Like they usually go west to east or sometimes they're like southwest to northeast. Um, So like it's, it's interesting to know like all the spatial information that people are keeping track of as it relates to the weather. Like that's so cool. And uh, I think it goes it just provides like more mounting evidence that it goes beyond being able to label counties on mm-hmm. a blank map. Yeah, exactly. I mean, do you, can you label all the adjacent counties to either Athens where you're at now or back home? Uh, in California? I mean, I don't know. I mean, just to be honest, I mean, I could probably do Gordon County better than uh, that's in Calhoun better than Athens. Like I know, yeah. Like Oconee is next to Athens. Um, yeah. I think Morgan County is, or Madison. No, Madison. Yeah. Yeah. See, I wouldn't even know. Yeah, and and I think that's like goes to show you that as critical as we are about oh, yeah. people who don't know how to read a map, and not you and I, but like just the meteorological community, I think we have to realize the context and and all these things like. Georgia has like uh, over 150 counties. Okay. Like we're a little crazy. Drew too many counties up. And so it's really hard to figure <laughs> out. You know, I was in Athens for four years. I can't label the counties around there. And a couple other thoughts too. Like I just moved to Denver not a year ago. Yeah. I could not label the counties around Denver. It took me a while to kind of realize how north in Colorado Denver really is. As dumb as that sounds, I was like looking at a map of Colorado. I was like, you know, I know where Denver is kind of like, I know the quadrant, but I'm like, wait a minute. It's really that far up North. And then I didn't yeah. realize the shape of the County, even though I should have, cause it's like the really weird squiggle thing going on. Cause they like annex the airport. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> I get it when people say they don't really know where they're located or what County, or I, I know what County I'm in, but like finding it on a map can be difficult. Sure. Um, especially when you aren't, you're not from that area, you know, and you don't know that area super well. Um, and a joke too is Colorado's a rectangle, like, and that kind of makes it really difficult to figure out right. where in that rectangle I'm at in Georgia. Like it's a very unique shape. So I know exactly where I'm at when I'm in Georgia kind of thing. Um, but those kind of things play into it as well. We talked a little bit about, you know, honor meteorologists and what they use. And I'm just thinking if it's already kind of confusing sometimes for people to locate themselves on a map, then how would they find themselves when there's like reflectivity, green, yellow, red, orange, everywhere, purple. And then on top of that, you have like these weird icons that are showing like hail. There's a rotation indication Mm -hmm. indicated right here on the radar. Um, You start drawing all these crazy things on a map. I'm like, how do people, how would they even find themselves if they're even given a really fair chance? Yes, you have the context clues that the meteorologists are providing and the landmarks that they might be providing. But a lot of times, like, these city names are, you know, obscured by all these crazy shapes and colors and graphics. And it makes me wonder, when these graphics are created, are is anybody, like, are normal people a part of the process? Like, 
hey, we're going to make these TV graphics, you know, WSI or Baron. We're making these graphics and we're going to actually test them out and see if people know what they're looking at. Because I can tell you, I mean, the past episode we had on do people understand radar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, obviously they don't. And when you throw on top of that, not only, you know, colors, you're throwing on top of that, like, random diagrams and, you know, images and, and gifs and I don't know, whatever. They're not putting gifs on TV, I don't think. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're putting, like, animation and stuff. And I'm like, what? What is this? Like, the sometimes a hail indication icon I've seen on WSI on some local TV stations, it's like it shows an updraft, like arrows going upward to indicate hail. Because, you know, updrafts cause hail, then the hail is like falling, like little pellets. And I'm like, that's such a confusing way of showing hail. <laughs> like, it's so distracting when I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So I know a meteorologist will use it on air for severe weather coverage because using those products helps them kind of figure out what's going on. But when you're showing what you're looking at to figure out what's going on to people that are watching at home, I mean, that's just really confusing. And I feel like that might also play into a role of people not really getting like, where am I on this? You know? No, no, I totally agree. And um, the this comes out a lot in the interviews that I've been doing, especially the number one thing that aggravates people is when specifically on broadcast meteorologist graphics, when the city is like so large that it covers like five counties, mm-hmm. um, they have specifically said like, it's hard for me to see where my county is and if there's like any kind of color or anything it's hard for me to determine like where it's at in my county because the athens or whatever label is so large yeah um and so i mean things like that could be easily remedied by perhaps having some sort of like dot or um just like adding some more context clues and providing more spatial and geographic information mm-hmm. to people like if we're giving them these extra clues then maybe it wouldn't be so hard for them to diagnose or yeah. determine the exact spot that they live on a map so a lot of this makes me wonder whether we're i guess like f- not fighting against them but we're not helping them as much as we could be yeah i think there's a lot of products that are out there but yeah, like, is it making it worse? Is, is, are we kind of shooting ourselves in the foot when we complain about people not knowing where they're at, but then we're giving them products that where it's like almost impossible to kind of figure out where you're at. One, one of these things, um, when there's severe weather, say a severe thunderstorm watch or a tornado watch, you're not going to get, you know, a meteorologist cutting in to tell you that what you'll get is what they call on TV, a bug that's in the corner that shows you like a oh, map it's called of your a bug? region. Yeah. Uh, TV oh, it's bug. so tiny. Huh? It's so tiny, too. <laughs> it's terrible. Because, like, a lot of times they'll show, like, you know, I'm from Savannah. And so they'll show the coast of South Carolina and Georgia and, you know, part of the southeastern part of the state. And then they just have, like, a, yep, a bunch of yellow highlighted shapes, which is supposed to tell me what. Like, this shape yeah. is already obscure because, like, a, a chunk of Georgia, not the whole state of Georgia. So... You're just looking at a, a rectangular box and you have a bunch of random shapes oh, that are highlighted true. yellow or red. I'm like, well, that doesn't really help. And then when you have a, like a tornado warning or a severe thunderstorm warning sometimes and, you know, it'll pop up and that county is highlighted. I'm like, OK, that l- literally does not help me at all. The only way it does help is if sometimes they have what they call a crawler that is um, yeah. added in conjunction with that severe weather bug where it actually crawls and it, it, there's text that tells you 
a tornado warning is issued for blah, blah, blah county. And then that way you can get that visual, which I think is not helpful at all. And then the text information that tells you, okay, I live in that county. Good to know. You know, communities in the path of this location include your community, that town, that city. Then that gives you more information of where you're, you know, if you're impacted or not. Mm-hmm. But that that bug does nothing for, I don't know if, if, you know, you could be a rocket scientist and be like, what am I looking at? <laughs> With no yeah, context, that's not helpful. Especially if they, like, they do things like you were saying where it's like half of the state or there's no like ocean or, you know, there's not like these things that they're used to seeing. So it's almost like mm-hmm. they have to reorient themselves completely to one, what am I actually seeing first of all? And two, where am I located on the map? So mm-hmm. I think, like you said, finding yourself on the map is not the priority to begin with because they have to figure out in their mind and be able to spatially alter like and move things around like where where am i located or yeah. what is this even trying to portray to me first and then trying to find your location versus mm-hmm. just making finding your location the number one kind of goal So while we're on the topic of this, um, I think it's important that we kind of outline other th- other ways that spatial literacy is being looked at or examined. Um, so I did a quick like Google Scholar search and a quick library search looking at spatial literacy um, and geographic literacy, which is kind of interesting because I just started kind of the next phase of my research project and wanted to include something like this in my research so that I could kind of assess when people are looking at graphics, how are they rating on sort of a spatial literacy or some sort of a geographic or map literacy scale. Mm-hmm. So in social science, we often have these scales where we kind of assess different types of literacy. So like uh, numeric literacy, like number literacy, um, is kind of a big one. Um, another one's like science literacy. And so I was like, you know what, it might be kind of cool and really important to assess their spatial literacy, their geographic or map literacy, as I'm showing these, them, these graphics to see if there's any difference in the way that people are interpreting them, interpreting them and understanding them. So I did like this broad search when I was doing my research project and didn't really come across anything. Well, I did find one thing, but it was in another language and it was 90 questions. And I was like, yeah, no, uh, people are going to be not happy about completing a 90 question questionnaire on top of Mm -hmm. my other questions. (laughs) Um, But within that search, I also came across this idea of people are starting to use mobile apps and what they call geo games Mm. to increase spatial literacy. And I thought that was kind of cool because it's not kind of a in your face method of figuring out your location. It's more of this way of building these skills that are involved in spatial literacy um, behind the scenes versus kind of giving them like a weather situation, like, Oh my gosh, you have to find your location right this second. Um, and so I think it kind of puts the pressure off and lets people kind of do it on their phone, just like when they're uh, in between things or they're not busy or they're just trying to fill time. Um, so there's this really cool study that created a game that they called Origami, um, and they just did that. And they found that it was pretty interesting and was uh, 
improved people's spatial competencies, as they say. <laughs> um, so I thought that was pretty cool and something to note. And the other thing I was thinking about in terms of technology, because as we were kind of talking about at the beginning of the episode, technology is kind of looked at in this negative way of kind of reducing our geographic or spatial awareness because sure. of our dependency on GPS. Yeah. Um, so I thought it might be cool to put a twist on that um, since that's kind of the theme of this episode is alternative perspectives on topics mm -hmm. um, to think about technology as a means of improving spatial literacy. And so that mobile app or that geo game is one. And I was thinking about perhaps the Snapchat map as another one yeah. um, because we've, I think there's been talk on Twitter about Snapchat map being used for situational awareness purposes mm -hmm. for emergency managers. Yeah. Um, and I also think that Snapchat map, which is also hard to say, um, <laughs> has started putting radar imagery on Snapchat map because like oh, when I've it rains, I see, I see like green and yellow blobs. Um, so I think it could be a cool way of not only learning the surrounding areas when it's, there's not weather happening, but yeah. also as a means of, uh, kind of finding yourself and the other people that are around you when weather is happening. Yeah. I don't know how popular Snapchat map is these days because or Snapchat I find that itself. <laughs> I found, yeah, I find that most people like when I go to the Snapchat map to creep on um, them. Yeah, it, no one's like showing their location. <laughs> yeah, I'm not trying so, to show my location. Why not? Want. You should. You can go in and pick specific people. That's what I've done. Yeah, I know, but there are reasons why sometimes I don't want people to know where I'm at because I'm like even me. Nosy. Well, remember that one time I have to check last on year. You. Remember that one time? Well, you can also just call me or text me. <laughs> I'd hope you don't use Snapchat to like. <laughs> Okay, guys, we talk enough that Castle and I definitely don't need to do that to each other. Most of the time, what I use it for is to find out what city my friend Shayna is in because she's, oh, a, yeah, flight she's a flight attendant. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I like to see, and sometimes her little bitmoji is in an airplane, yeah, which is really cute. Yeah, so cute. Um, but yeah, that's what I mostly use it for. Yeah, but what were you going to say? Um, Sorry. Well, no, I was going to say that one time when I was really nervous about my job interview with NCAR. And oh, so I like yes. turned off everything and, and like didn't talk to anybody about it. I literally told nobody except for my family about it. And I was like, cause I was just so nervous about it. And so I remember you telling me, cause I think it ended up turning on one day and then it was like, Hey, um, you text me. You're like, wait, why are you? Or I think it was you, right? Who's like, why yeah. are you in Colorado? Sure. I was like, I'll tell I you later. You were in Goodbye. Chicago, maybe. Oh, Chicago. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you're like, why are you in Chicago? I was like, um, goodbye. I'm not talking to you right now. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, I just it's well because you know people be creeping on there, and also you know if you oh, have what a partner who's if there are, you know there's fidelity issues with your partner, and you find them like in a place, and you're like, wait, oh why gosh. are you there? And we have things like that. You know, bigger like, problems than Snapchat map. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously, but you know what I mean, right? Like it's. It's a great way to kind of figure out if people are lying or where they're at. And it's just, there's just so much room for potential issues, mm -hmm. I guess. And if people, if I want people to know where I'm at, then most of the time I already know them well enough that we can communicate that. Sure. So that's kind of why. But no, but a Snapchat map is a great tool to use for situational awareness. Like you can't actually, you know, take the videos off or like contact the people or you probably shouldn't be but it just gives you an awareness like oh okay yeah. where this you know hurricane hit and made landfall here's the kind of stuff i'm seeing um and I'm, i think you could probably use it 
um, to guide what we're doing, like sending more resources or things like that, or just being aware. Awareness is the biggest thing, I think. But definitely you see a lot of stupid people doing stupid things when it's like really bad weather too, which is kind of funny, but also infuriating. So So wait, Snapchat is like going out as a social media Oh yeah, Instagram phenomena. Instagram has really pretty much taken over Snapchat oh. because people have gone to Instagram to post their stories. I mean Oh, I see. Because Instagram everyone was mad at Instagram for doing the story mode like that Snapchat had, but then everyone started using Instagram and Instagram's blown up in popularity. I actually did a really quick social media research study last week for work and Instagram's blown up in the last two or three years. Like hmm. skyrocketed in a number of users. And the number of users is, you know, the demographics are way younger than any other digital platform, really, because people are moving off of Facebook, but they're going to Instagram because they don't want, you know, grandma, grandpa to stalk them and, and comment on all their photos. It'd be like, why is your, you know, shoulder showing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> your um, shoulder. But, you know, things like that. And... um also, I mean, it's funny because Instagram is owned by Facebook. So if you're even like, ha ha, screw you, Facebook, I'm getting off of Facebook. But it's like, yeah. Instagram's also owned by Facebook. So Facebook's actually laughing at you. So, but yeah, um, it's definitely a great, unique way of using a digital social media platform to kind of have an understanding of what's going on. And yeah, it definitely potentially could help with increasing spatial awareness too. Also, if the if anyone works for WSI and you... And there's a job where people interview members of the public or have focus groups about your graphics. Like, I would mm-hmm. love to have that job. Oh, my gosh. Please email me. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> that would be so much fun. It would be. Um, I guess to, to round out the episode, we should encourage everyone to go learn their county, learn the outline, learn the shape. It doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other means... There are other types of spatial information that you can use as we've kind of outlined, but knowing your county and the surrounding counties can only benefit you in any type of weather situation, especially severe weather. Yes. So that's a PSA, a weather hype PSA. <laughs> yes. Do it. What he said. Everything. Do it. All of it. All of it. Preach it. You write. Killing and I it. think what's what I found is interesting in, and I think you you kind of mentioned it in your description of your county is I found that a lot of people are interested in the shape. So they're kind of locking in on how can my county how what unique features can I identify about my county to spot it easily. So maybe marketing that aspect of know your shape or, you know, like something fun about um, finding little little tweaks or little little fun little i can't think of a word like little weird uh nuances about your county shape can help you help can help you find it on a map god i can talk help you help me help who So with that, hopefully you will try to find out where you live in your state and the counties around you. Until then, 
If you're looking for Weather Hype in lots of places and you can want to locate us, because that's one thing you want to do, you can do that <laughs> at facebook.com slash weatherhype or weatherhypepodcast.com. I'm tired. Stop making me. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter at weatherhype, both words weather and hype. Or you can send us a lovely email at weatherhype at gmail.com. And if you find yourself on a map, you can send us an email and show us. Yeah, that sounds Where you live? Never mind. No, don't, don't do that. I was trying to make it interactive. Like, we can promote spatial awareness through our podcast. But I guess not. <laughs> here's a selfie of me pointing to the I was trying home to I be live on Google Earth. Here's, the, here's my house. <laughs> okay, you could point to your county or something on a map. It doesn't That's have to be that creepy. personally. Okay, fine. But also kudos to the person who is from SoCal that left a review. That was really nice. So we oh. really appreciate that. Thank you. Yes. Um, We're getting reviews. This is exciting. Yeah, I know. It's... I know that we've we have listeners out there. The numbers show it, but it's just yeah. We just don't know who they are. Yeah, who y'all is? Let us know. Send us your address. No, stop with that. (laughs) Stop. Just kidding. Don't do it. Send us your county, though. (laughs) I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Oh my gosh. My county, that is. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Anyway, um, we're gonna end it on this note. So until next time. Until next time, stay hyped. Stay hyped. And don't creep.